Greetings, Earthlings. Sorry, I was a little slow getting my button pushed to, to put me on screen here. Um, so welcome back to Rounding the Earth. This is a little bit of a different uh, program today. This is going to be kind of an explanation of what's going on and a take on where it is that the Earth needs to go or where it is that we need to be going um, after three years of uh, unholy pandemonium. Um, so I had... Um, as I'm sure anybody watching knows, I had a dinner in Austin on Friday night, and I wound up making a longer trip out of it than I had originally intended. I went up earlier than I expected. I drove up to uh, drove down to Austin on Tuesday night and stayed with my friend um, who he was there for a writing seminar, and he was also the event planner for the dinner. So, you know, spent a little time with him, also walked around Austin, and Austin is a great city. Uh, it's a very walkable city. Um, hello, Christy. Ah, I'm glad you like the title. I like the title too. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. How do we, um, how is it that we decentralize? I'm, I'll, I'll get to that pretty soon, but I'm going to talk just a, a moment about the dinner because it was so much better of an event than I could have imagined. And, um, this, it's not a natural thing for me to do. I've never hosted an event of any kind outside of education. I think that's that may not be perfectly true, but it's basically true. Um, I'm definitely not an event planner, hoster, um, host. <laughs> Don't even know the word that you would use, apparently. Um, but uh, you know, we got there on Friday night. We extended. Um, we, you know, we took a loss to do it. You know, we paid more money than um, than we brought in with tickets, which is fine. Uh, I. I um, decided that we should have an extra hour at the beginning. It was actually partially a scheduling screw up. But when uh, my friend and I, um, Kai, by the way, my friend Kai is the one who uh, planned the event. When we talked about how to fix the problem, we said, oh, let's just add an extra hour at the beginning. And and um, I decided to, to eat the cost of that, which was you know totally fine, totally worth it. As it turns out, uh, two hours would have just been too little time. And I think there were 18 or 19 of us total. There were a couple of people who didn't make it. Uh, I, I gave a free ticket to my friend Rebecca, uh, who is the videographer at the Greater Reset um, convention that was going on uh, about half an hour east, but um, her event uh, lasted longer than she expected. So she wasn't able to join us, but I did on Saturday night make it over to the Greater Reset uh, for their closing uh, acts and uh, I got to give her some hugs. So that was all good. But uh, meeting all those people, uh, I guess there were... 18 people, 17, 18 besides myself. And I knew two of them in real life beforehand. So I got to meet a whole bunch of people and I got to talk to everyone. Um, and with most, with most of them, I got to have a pretty good conversation because it was three hours at dinner. And then we went out for drinks for a couple of hours at uh, hotel lobby bar next door. So that was plenty of time, uh, as it turns out. Um, there was a very, very interesting guest who came who apparently didn't really know what Rounding the Earth was. A friend of his reached out to him and said, you really should go to this. And he came, and um, I don't quite know what to make of him yet, but we start talking. Uh, turns out he's a Bitcoin, Bitcoin core developer, which really piqued my curiosity. You know, I love Bitcoin, and, and uh, I hope that it solves a lot of great problems in the world. I hope that it creates a lot of wealth for a lot of people all over the world. Um, but, you know, I'm talking to him and he uh, very quickly admits that he helped fund mRNA vaccines during the pandemic secretly using Bitcoin. So this was very obviously an interesting coincidence that took place. Um, and I, I'm not going to say his name yet. I'm going to write an article. I'll include his name. It's not like it's a super secret thing necessarily, but this is a person who um, may be connected into the FTX debacle, but I don't want to say anything yet. Um, you know, we're doing some uh, research. Liam's helping me. Um, there's just, there's just a whole lot surrounding this guy. He is, um, you know, well known within the Bitcoin community in the U S I'd heard his name before I'd seen him on uh, podcasts before, you know, talking with him about it. He mentioned to me he had been kicked out of the Human Genome Project because he was going after designer babies. And uh, we had a brief conversation. You know, like I said, had a lot of people there. And what I didn't want to do was over-focus on him or anything like that. 
Um, but he, he mentioned uh, that he had been going after designer babies and got pushed out of the Human Genome Project. Though weirdly, he has so many jobs in his past history that I'm actually wondering the degree to which he had, you know, control, expertise, knowledge to do that. But it is clear that he was involved in biotechnology. So, um, uh, you know, with a little bit of conversation, one thing that he said was that, you know, designer babies, it was, it, it, if government were to stop that, that would be coercion and that would be bad. And that's a that's this is a really, really tough conversation. It's a really tough conversation. Um, is coercion always bad? You know, I, I think that we live in a world in which <clears throat> I default to coercion is bad for maybe 99 point something percent of circumstances. Um, you know, maybe maybe in terms of like the numeracy of those circumstances, maybe it's 99.99%. I don't like the use of force to stop people from doing what they want to do. Um, should we stop designer babies? I don't know the answer to that question. I have my leanings toward being very hesitant and hopefully the mRNA vaccine debacle. I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that it's a debacle. I hope that that debacle helps people understand um, that we need to be very precautionary with genetic technologies. And we need time, you know, not even not even just to test the technologies. I think that we need time for people to sort through who is applying these technologies how and why, right? These things matter. Is this technology asymmetric good for society or is it about asymmetric control um, and, you know, and thus a weaponized technology? So, you know, is the question, should I be allowed to make nukes in my garage? Um, you know, is that, is that a question where we, we can get past like an ideological discussion of whether or not coercion is bad? And I don't have a perfect answer for that right now. What I try to do as often as possible is where we get close to the margins with liberty to uh, express a principle of decentralization. So, um, you know, decentralization is where responsibility is shifted around and there are a lot more people who know what's going on and have a say in things. Um, you know, it, it's, you could call it republicanism. I suppose, in some sense, if you want to talk about traditional government, though I don't think modern republicanism bears much resemblance to the way I would think of it. But at the very least, we need a whole lot of people with eyeballs on such developments of technology, unless what we want is to jump, you know, as quickly as we can into either existential risk, doing, you know, if we do something that harms the germline, and uh, that's a potential risk with gene drive editing technology. I talked about that just a little bit in the FTX article. Um, but anyhow, um, we, we don't have as decentralized a society as we should, but we can achieve that. And one of the things that I, I wanted to do this last year, to be honest, I wanted to um, kind of leave a lot of what I'd been doing at, at Rounding the Earth behind and focus more on solutions. And there are people who kind of, you know, poked me about that, but really the DMED project took over a lot of the meaning of 2022 for me. And looking back, I think that that was an arranged distraction for me. Um, it's part of the reason why I am uh, willing to call people out and people say, you know, I'm creating infighting or I am infighting or something like that, but that's uh, complete nonsense. Um, you know, but if bad behavior is not pointed out, just like Scott Adams, if bad behavior is not pointed out and dealt with in some way, then it is necessarily encouraged. That, that's what it means when you don't pump, uh, punish bad behavior. And I don't know how we should punish Scott Adams aside from just sort of socially spreading the word that he seems to be actually uh, just a douchebag. <laughs> um, and and may, maybe in, in some cases that's enough. I don't know. Um, but we, we may want to be able to do more than that at the very least, uh, decentralized world uh, allows for um, the possibility of forms of punishment that aren't necessarily part of the traditional legal justice system when those uh, punishments aren't available. I don't know. Anyway, um, more what I was thinking, though, uh, is about decentralization is really common, it, you know, just like common things that can be done that need to be done that would make, um, you know, our society more robust, would make us wealthier. 
<clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> drove back last night, still in, uh, in out of town mode. Um, not fully rested, but that's okay. I, I had, it was a pretty good time. Um, I'm going to share something that I'm thinking about right now in terms of decentralization, where I'm going with this conversation here. So here we are. Um, this was actually the second time that I'd put out like a, Hey, who wants to go to dinner? And it took my friend Kai uh, about five months to convince me to do this. And, and then I thought, you know, what, this, this is a good idea. I should do something like this. And I was a little bit recovered from the DMED debacle. So I had the energy to do it, but you know, somebody chimed in during my first email, you know, a, a, a troll chimed in and said, uh, I don't think so. Who are you? <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I hovered over their name and saw that they didn't actually follow any sub stack. So it was, you know, it was somebody's puppet account, whatever. That's fine. Um, but, you know, I just laughed and I, you know, I responded, I'm nobody. And that's why this is so strange. And, and so I, I kind of want to go with that, right? I mean, first of all, it's true. Uh, I didn't uh, create a life for seeking fame or ambition or something like that. And I generally don't pay that much attention to famous people. Uh, it's just not a value of mine. Um, and, and that's part of the reason why it took Kai five months to convince me to, to host a dinner. Uh, I'm just sort of shy about that sort of thing. Uh, I don't want it to be about me. Um, but <clears throat> I decided that we could make this not about me in, in a very simple way, which is to brand it something like nobody's coming to dinner. And, and it, that doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way that I'd like. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or fully describe what's going on. But here's what I want going on. I want, um, you know, the community of people, especially who were prepared enough to avoid a lot of the PSYOP, brainwashing, whatnot, that went on during the pandemic. Those people have passed uh, a test, so to speak. If you're here, you've probably passed that test. Um, yeah, round earthers. So... <clears throat> I, I want those people to take more responsibility and to get excited about it. You know, really and truly, the way things have gone, you know, the more idle you are, probably the more unhappy you are. I mean, we all want to break during the day. Uh, you don't want to be active for 16 hours, fall asleep, and you know, not have time to yourself, not have time to your arts, not have time to play, play with your family, play um, to learn new skills, you know, all, all those things. So what I, you know, kind of what I want to do with this is have a number of dinners throughout the year and go to different cities. You know, Austin is only a city of a little over half a million metropolitan, if I recall correctly. Maybe it's, I don't know, it's growing so big, maybe half of California moved there and it's bigger than I think. Uh, they are trying to build these techie termite mounds as quickly as they can downtown to house all the people coming in. I stayed at one as an Airbnb. It's kind of half Airbnb, half locals. So... Uh, I'm thinking of having these dinners uh, around the country and branding this nobody's um, nobody's leadership network or something like that. If you can think of a better name, please let me know. Um, I'm definitely all ears. Um, I want it to be simple and straightforward. And I think that uh, we could take this community. Uh, yeah, there, there are plenty of rounding the earthers who are, you know, um, moderately wealthy, substantially, maybe, maybe there are a few who are very substantially wealthy. I don't even know. You know, I don't know. There are 30,000 people now uh, reading uh, Rounding the Earth uh, or just under. We may hit that today. Um, that's a lot of people. And so you've probably got a lot of people with a lot of skill sets, a lot of entrepreneurs, engineers, scientists, technologists, um, people using those skills to do something other than um, <laughs> uh, call the human race or you know, whatever it is that that crazy people might do with those technologies. The resentfuls. Uh, I think that's a good word. That's what I've sometimes started calling those people. Uh, no matter how much they achieve, somehow they're still resentful of reality. And they want to tear that down or take people out who aren't resentful of reality. It's I don't even know where that psychology comes from. I don't get it. I don't understand it. <clears throat> but coming back to us the people who are glad for reality and who want to do something better and better with it. Um, decentralized leadership is the way to take back more control over the earth. So I don't know how many of these we might hold and maybe we'll also couple them with like 
some sort of a thought criminal seminar or, you know, uh, entrepreneurial seminars, um, you know, other things that would put people in an area in contact with one another who can then become a community and share skill sets and build businesses together. Um, and entrepreneurs love that, that, that anyway. And, and I am an entrepreneur. I'm not as, um, as entrepreneur in the spirit of it, in the, the, you know, having life revolve around the business building processes. Some people are there. Some people that just, they just enjoy every minute of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, even the hard, hard work. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is fun mostly. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd like to turn this into something and that's not about me and that I could step away from at any moment. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what people who are, you know, watching might think of this. Uh, we were able to have a dinner with, I don't, I don't know how many people were there 20 ish um, in Austin and Austin, like I said, is not that big of a city. There are going to be plenty of cities around the United States. Uh, people have emailed me and said, Hey, you know, do something like this in Chicago or do something like this in, in Sonoma uh, do something like this in, in New York. And, and I was thinking of, of having one in Pittsburgh and uh, inviting JJ Cooey along. In fact, I called him on my drive home yesterday. I was like, we should do this. And he, he, he sounded interested. He sounded excited about it. So um, maybe I'll invite JJ Cooey as like a, a guest of honor and, uh, and have one in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning how to plan events and the fact that costs are higher than you think they are and how not to, you know, wind up, uh, you know, turning it into a big expense that you can't pay for. <clears throat> um, but I think that we can do that. And it may even be that um, in some of these cities, instead of charging $150 a ticket, um, people make so much more money in a place like New York or in areas, some areas of California. There are plenty of people who would want to buy a ticket. And I don't want to turn this into something where there are 50 seats, right? There are 50 people there. I want it to be something where I could meet and talk with everyone or whoever's hosting the dinner could meet and talk with everyone. Um, so Christy asks, who's leading the leaders? And that's just it. Um, a leader means you're self-guided. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're not led at all or that you don't have a mentor or that you don't learn from anyone. Uh, I think uh, the leaders lead each other to a great degree. Uh, the leaders are people who understand self-education, but self-education also means going to the right sources to get it, right? So, um, you know, it, it, it's a great question that has like no one, you know, perfect answer or anything like that. But if a community were to develop that rejects the, the status quo VC corporate community and recognizes we don't need them, we can do this ourselves, then I think we're going to be a lot better off, right? And this is a kind of game B mentality for those of you who know what that is, Um you know, game B is this uh, this idea of building systems that can operate in today's world, but would be uh, still operational after something like an economic collapse. Um, let me go bring in some of the questions here. Let's see. Some of the norovirus kooks have been threatening JJ. Yeah, I'm talking with him about that. We're probably we're gonna we're gonna get in a, a podcast soon at Rounding the Earth. It may be this Wednesday night, or we may do it next week. depends on Depends on how much we need to prepare. I think it's um, it's time that uh, JJ and I weigh into this together because between he and I, we have um, you know both the the science background and logic chops to sort this out. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of good conversation does happen at the bar. Um, you know, we uh, by the way, at this dinner we had an hour before the dinner where we all stood around and, and most people had one drink. Uh, they brought in uh, like a mixing table and a bartender. Uh, and then uh, for two hours, we were at the hotel lobby next door. And it was just a lot of fun. And uh, the people were varied. Um, and I think of, of a very good age to be um, sort of brought into a network, you know, a, a leadership network that is a nobody network. Uh, there were a lot of people there who were in their 40s and 50s in particular. I think that describes uh, the vast majority of the crowd. There was um, uh, one young lady. Uh, I didn't actually see her until the dinner was over. She was the only person I hadn't uh, like seen and been able to introduce myself to uh, who was 27. And she was the daughter of a Rounding the Earth reader who, who uh, uh, I guess, had watched a couple of the podcasts with her and, and said, oh, you should, you should uh, do this. <laughs> and she lives in Austin. But she herself was very entrepreneurial. As we got talking, she talked about, you know, last year I learned to do this and this. Next year I want to do this. You know, what should I do so that I'm prepared for the world? Like she she was clearly uh, way ahead of the game as far as talking to 20-something-year-olds. 
um, sounded like somebody who had, you know, a lot of the knowledge of an MBA program, either intuitively or that she had sought out. Uh, but that's exactly, you know, 20 year olds, 20 something year olds can be educated into that. In fact, a lot of what goes on in entrepreneurship programs, whether it's, you know, Wharton Business School or anywhere else, a lot of it is common sense training, um, but very often, you know, done in, in slightly fancier ways or with a little behavioral economics. But, you know, some people say it's who you meet. And in terms of the curriculum, that's right, because the lessons are not complicated. They are things that you may have to meditate over and practice, flex your muscle, you know, until it is a, an ordinary skill that you just, you know, go about by habit. But uh, a nobody network uh, can recreate a lot of that, most of that very easily. One of the questions that guides my pretty much my entire adult life is the question, when it all breaks down, who's going to rebuild it? Is Scott Adams going to rebuild it? Doubting it. Do we want the people who have been steering our technological prog progress at uh, some of the major universities like Harvard and MIT and Stanford, do we want them steering it? Um, I have problems with, you know, Jay Bhattacharya the other day was on Twitter. He was criticizing Stanford. He's like, I can't believe my alma mater, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, he can't believe he had the wrong model the whole time. You had no idea what was going on. Do I want that person as a leader who said, hey, we should roll out 100 million doses and then stop? I don't want that person as a leader. The people who jumped on the side of liberty after the program was already underway and probably there was no stopping it. Those are people who didn't have the right model of the world, and I hope they come over to our side, but we don't need them as iconic leaders, as iconoclasts, you know, standing in the middle of the stream. We need nobody. And there is more skill among the nobodies than people know, and that skill can be built. People can self-educate more than people usually recognize. So I think that's what I want to turn this dinner into. Um, so thoughts, uh, you know, uh, we've got some viewers here. We didn't, uh, really advertise this ahead of time or promote it. Um, I don't even know if it, if it was, uh, pushed out on Twitter or anything like that, but if anybody has comments, suggestions, uh, I would definitely like to, uh, hear everyone's take on how it is to come up with something like a decentralized adult education network. That would be part of it. Um, you know, and and I, I bet that there are a lot of people who are substantially wealthy who would love to tap in and be part of it and foster it and encourage it. There may be there may also be people who try to tap in and uh, and try to derail it. I think that that's a lot of what's happened with the medical freedom movement or people who have business plans motivating their actions behind the scenes. Um, there's a lot of that. And I can explain some of those stories, but it's 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 lengthy. And I'd want to get my ducks in a row with those notes first. Um, and there are people with government plans, uh, and, and I'll talk more about that in an article soon, but you know, what I, I'd love to hear from other people, you know, um, what, what is it that could be decentralized, you know, could, could essentially a farmer's market network be, uh, created and sort of, I don't know, not, franchised might be the word, but it might be something that turns into a cryptocurrency network. In fact, you, know, you could put tags, you could put phosphorus tags. Um, you can have phosphorus inside a little, you know, um, patch tag that you put on bags that food get put in, you know, a bag of flour, a bag of um, grain, you know, uh, wheat seed, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're shipping around the country. You could have outlets that are both farmers markets and next door storage and trucking, you know, shipping areas. Um, and you could have them become a network and those networks could push and pull products through their network through something like, you know, um, a, uh, you could have somebody behind a computer, you can build a program that can handle a lot of it, right? Supply and demand programs. Um, but you could have a manager behind the program. You could, you could basically have corn being shipped where people are going to pay the most for it or being shipped away from, uh, you know, when it's, when it's, uh, uh, first harvested and there's so much of it in just, you know, three or four areas of the country. And then you could, uh, you could have it pushed through this farmer's market network, um, something that would essentially replace a lot of the, the grocery networks, uh, a lot of the grocery store. Well, 
it, it would probably replace some of the grocery stores, you know, and this is probably something that should go up to, but not into the urban areas. You know, the idea would be to have like a really good farmer's market. Um, and if you've been to farmer's markets, you know, they can be anywhere from small to gigantic and you might have, you know, also people making the food all over, uh, dotting the area, but that's something that could be decentralized and a lot of people could be involved would be a lot of jobs. <clears throat> uh, some of the truckers would probably love to get involved. Uh, they don't want their jobs to be uh, taken over by the robots anytime soon. And, and I'm not even necessarily philosophically opposed to, you know, robot machines doing transport, but I, I'm, I'm definitely opposed to the games that are being played that seem to be pushing that direction overly quickly, perhaps so that, you know, investments can inflate sooner rather than later. Um, anyhow, um, so anybody thoughts? I mean, we, we've got viewers on multiple sites here. What needs to be done? And, you know, what, what are, what are decentralized business plans that we can count on education? We could teach people how to run homeschool co-ops. I personally have, um, a five digit number of pages of curriculum. And you know what? Maybe I should share this. I don't even know. You know, I kind of came on to Babel today. Uh, not Babel exactly, but, you know, just chat, um, you know, in, in a relaxed way about where it is I might take things. But I'm going to go, I'm going to pull up some of my curriculum just because I wonder how much rounding the earth, you know, viewers know about my history as an educator or what it is that I might be able to help with. Um, let's see, curriculum classes. I've got just, you know, tons and tons of classes organized in different ways. Uh, jump into, uh, this was usually advanced uh, fifth and sixth graders. Let's take a look at geometry, some topics here. And, and, you know, I would sort of create, different sorts of lessons than are usually in a, in a math textbook, uh, curricular lessons that um, might involve like putting shapes together and being able to compute areas, you know, links, areas, volumes, whatever, eventually. But this is, yeah, this is fifth and sixth graders and, and have a, have a complete solution to every problem. And I have, um, I think over 10,000 pages of such curriculum parsed out into different sources. I'm not doing anything with it right now. It could probably be uh, turned into its own business. And I'd probably make a heck of a lot more money doing that than writing Substack. I should probably do this sometime. But you know, the point is you could get a few curriculum developers together um, and you know, start teaching people how to run homeschool co-ops. That's just one of the many things that could be done. And in fact, that's not unlike the business plan I was going after at the beginning, at end of 2019, I uh, started building a decentralized education network and uh, that was going to allow me to use some of this stuff, but um, it was more about the network than the curriculum or anything like that. Anyhow, anywho, what are the other, what are the other things that can be done? You can make food pretty robust, I think more, more so than it is now though. People say, no, you're farmer. Uh, that seems like a good principle. No matter what happens with the world, you're more anti-fragile. If you know, you know, know everybody in your community. Uh, one of one of my per, like, yeah, there are several articles at, at Rounding the Earth that I love myself. Um, you know, maybe maybe about five or so that I think of as um, my favorite topics. Uh, one of those was uh, the parasocial Dunbar hacking article, and I think that's. I can't remember if that's an Information Wars article or a Kunlingita article, but it's in one of those two places if anybody hasn't read it and would want to look it up. Um, but it's about how, you know, not only do we have this Dunbar number, but it's probably true that our brain has slots where we have, you know, um, husband, wife, child, you know, parent, friend, uh, chief, medicine man, um, hunter, uh, gatherer, um, maker, who knows? Um, but I think that these parasocial relationships that we are baited into in the mass media world, starting with the educational system, stand and deliver, um, you know, there's some good things about that story in that movie, but I, I think that it, that it's, uh, it may be accidentally, maybe intentionally a psyop, 
Um, you know, this one person standing in front of 30 people just projecting is not the best education. It's also I want, why I want you guys to participate. Um, you know, uh, the discussions are always better when you guys do, and I have time to to look over and see. Um, you know, ultimately, ultimately, um, if in a successful world, maybe I'm not even, you know, doing this, but, um, you know, people should be talking to each other, asking, answering questions, um, you know, one on 30 or then in mass media, one on thousands or millions is just a terrible way to have relationships. You should know your farmer, you should know your firefighter. Um, most of the divisions in society that would keep you from doing that are very artificial or a matter of the engineering of bad habits. And I'm guilty of that too. I'm not going to pretend that uh, I know, you know, who the closest person in my neighborhood is, who is a firefighter or a police person. Um, in fact, I rush moved into, the, into this neighborhood and I have never known as few people in my neighborhood as I do now. Um, though ultimately what I'd like to be doing is buying land, going out, building and, and building a community with it. And by the way, if any of you don't know, if you don't yet know uh, the greater reset, um, I'm happy to, to channel some attention there. I mentioned that I went to that conference the last night of it on Saturday night, and I was invited by a friend. I didn't feel bad crashing their sort of like final fun event, but I had been to the conference last year. I paid for a ticket and went and uh, spent time in uh, Buda, Texas, which, which is just south of Austin. This time it was in Bastrop. Uh, I, I think I'm saying that right, Bastrop, um, which is 30 miles east of, of Austin. Um, it, that's a, that's an interesting, uh, group, interesting, you know, I, I liked what I saw when I went last year, I think they have on the order of 50,000 people in a network who are going out and building, um, you know, uh, townships essentially, you know, I don't know what else to call it. I don't know. It, you know maybe some are official, some aren't, but it, you might have a person who goes out and buys 80 acres. They might sell pieces of that to other people, or you may have people buy back-to-back -back properties and they're, they're, you know, working to develop uh, a community. And they want for the communities to be uh, self-reliant to the extent that uh, if, if things really got ugly, that they could handle themselves, right? You can be anti-fragile when you can forego uh, a lot of the trappings, a lot of the bait of modern technology that, that traps us into a system of quasi-slavery. So I very much approve. I encourage people to go find, uh, look up um, Google Freedom Cells. Maybe I'll do it right now. Why not? Let's see. Uh, the two guys who started it are John Bush and Derek Bros. And you may know Derek Bros from uh, The Last American Vagabond. And I don't know exactly, you know, what all circles either of those gentlemen keep. But um, here is the website. And uh, I'll say this. It's a little... The, the flavor of the website, like the look of it, it's a little bit too don't tread on me for my taste. I think we should try to avoid looking uh, as a community like any one particular thing, right? Um, but it, understand, I do appreciate like the, the look back toward like a constitutional form of government, which I believe that we had but don't have. I think at this point it's a total facade. Um, anyhow, uh, you can join the, the Freedom Cell community. Uh, I don't spend enough time on the site. I don't even really know what's here. I've poked around it before. I've read. I, I've looked at, you know, there are all sorts of different uh, communities in here. And uh, they have a Telegram group. There's, oh, you're not even looking because I forgot to put it on the screen. Excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah, you can you can poke around here and, and see what's up. So, you know, if, if your thought is that you'd want to participate in a way like like buying some land and, and getting to know your community. That's the way to do it. Okay, I'll, I'll switch to some people want to talk about the no virus kooks, as somebody just said. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit before we move on. Uh, I think that we <laughs> pray for JJ. Um, we should focus on the perpetrators of this deception. Dun, dun, dun. Um, JJ's a big boy. He'll survive. Uh, no, it is. I, I didn't get a chance to look at the article where they went after him. Um, what he said to me was that this guy, I don't even know the guy's name, had reached out to him and, uh, you know, wanted to talk with him uh, and was real polite, was real nice, but then totally just, you know, went after him. And he said that, uh, you know, he and Bobby Kennedy were being like, you know, sort of attacked on this level. And, that, you know, that was just sort of um, 
you know, something that like it felt like it needed to be responded to. The way that I think that we should deal with the no virus people is to lay the hammer down all at once to, to, you know, walk through and explain what they've got wrong, but also congratulate them over what they've got right. Uh, the no virus people have some very good points and these points are good because our system is bad essentially. <laughs> um, and I'll see if I can explain that as well as possible. I'm going to talk about the logic here. Uh, when you get into science, Science is not truth. It's one way of approximating truth and building principles and learning about things. But uh, science is not truth. And it does depend on our ability to formulate logic. Right. Um, and here's what I mean by that. Definitions matter. Right. What is the definition of an atom? What is the definition of a of a fundamental particle? What is the definition of a fish? Right. When I. Um, Friday night, I ate a piece of salmon at dinner. Was that salmon fish? Was it a fish? How do you define a fish? You know, when it dies, is it still a fish? Okay, when a, when a virus uh, ceases to be, um, you know, when, when it breaks up into pieces, is it still a virus? Well, I think we would call it like nucleotide debris or something like that, right? So definitions matter. Uh, they, they clearly matter. So is there something that's wrong with the definitions in science? I, it, I think that the, there are foundational definitions around which a field gets built. Those should, those should always be in question, as in you should be able to question the foundations, maybe even branch off into two fields. If, if for some reason one definition is functional in a way in which it helps us gain knowledge about a topic or a system or a circumstance, then um, you know, that's great. That, then that's a functional definition. Uh, if we have one that <clears throat> that provides no function, you know, we, we just stop using that definition. Um, there, there's so many people in science who don't get this on a basic logic level, right? Like, what is the definition of isolation? To isolate something. Well, people go, oh, well, we isolate metals, we isolate atoms, and we isolate, you know, this and that and the other. Well, okay, do we? By what definition? Well, we, we have it. It's entirely alone. Well, no, you know, any substance that we isolate, you know, we, we talk about levels of purity, you know, isolated to 99.99% purity, you know, and we never isolate things from the observer from us, right? And we know um, from physics that the, that the observer does matter in terms of what anything actually is. Things change upon observation. So you have to be functional with the definition of, of something like isolation. Have we ever isolated a virus? I think a lot of issues come down to the fact that there are shenanigans in science where viruses have been made to, to look like the cause of a harm and may not be. I have not done the full homework of a deep dive into the HIV AIDS link, for instance. And I know that there, there are probably people watching who know more about this than I do and, and understand that, you know, I've had a, a busy few years <laughs> and had never looked into that issue. Um, but uh, I, I see a lot of the problems. Uh, I see, you know, I, I've read enough and, and I've watched enough of the videos to know um, that uh, that there are problems with the idea that it's HIV causing AIDS. There's a correlation and a person who has AIDS suddenly has HIV that's detectable, but is that a cause or an effect, right? Correlation is not, is not causation. It's not a mechanistic explanation. Mechanistic explanations of things that happen in a very complex system with many tiny cells and other particles. That's really, really hard, right? Um, we are not close to understanding the body on that level, no matter how much you would want us to be, right? I think um, this is a lot of the mistake of the transhumanists is they want us to be closer than, than they are. They're buying the narcissistic bullshit from within communities that are incentivized to turn their careers into narcissistic bullshit. So, <clears throat> this has turned into entire industries and, and perhaps um, it, maybe this relates to bio warfare. I haven't decided exactly how much I'm sure that some of it does, but the virus, the no virus people have some good points, but then they muddy their own waters, right? There's a difference between the statement. I don't think that HIV causes AIDS and I don't think there are um, any uh, viruses at all. And I was in a conversation with uh, Germ Warfare the other day. He's the South African cartoonist. I don't know if you guys know who he is. Um, I'm trying. His real name is Jeremy Nell, and he got pretty rabid um, 
during the conversation, but he also shifted uh, the definition and shifted his claims during the conversation. And it really bothered me. Uh, I think that that's absolutely bad behavior. And given the amount of time that I spent reading the, the papers that he was linking, uh, I, I thought that was pretty offensive. And I think that uh, some of the no, no virus people intend to harass with this, right? So um, in, in that sense, they may turn people off from finding out uh, what's going on. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, so it may be that uh, a lot of the illnesses that we associate with viruses aren't really caused by viruses. Or here's another explanation. Here's one way to put it. It may be that a lot of the, you know, a lot of things are primarily caused by bacteria, not viruses, or an interaction between the two, right? Bacteria process viruses. Does that change the bacteria? Yes, it does. Um, you know, we, we call like if a bacteria, if, if we have a spike protein uptake into the bacteria, well, that's macrophage, right? Uh, what is what is that change about the cause of those? very tiny things inside the body. Does that cause a change on? Well, sure, I can buy that that causes a change. I'm not saying that it does necessarily. I need to study that more myself to know. Uh, or, or what about something like water? Water isn't harmful. Even if you pour it in your eye, you get some drops of water in your eye. That's not that big of a deal. Would you want a gallon of water poured over your eye? Probably not. What about a thousand gallons, right? Everything sort of has limits, limitations. There are tolerances. In biology, uh, something like a virus may not be harmful until your system is being degraded. Then maybe one or another virus, maybe depending on on what what's degrading, you know, what does your gut gut biome look like? What kind of bacteria is in your lungs? It may be that the that the bacteria in your lungs and your microbiome have a lot to do with you know which influenza strains might actually be infective to you. And then you have an excess of virus in your body, then maybe it does cause harm. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that I have a conclusive statement on this, but my point is that the no virus people can be right about some of their criticisms and still be wrong about, you know, whether or not viruses can cause illness. It may be that 90% of what we're told about viruses causing illness is BS, but that there are other like extreme circumstances. I do believe that, that uh, organisms like us that are very complex vehicles, we're pretty awesome. Let, let's let's give ourselves a hand. We've gone through you know billions of years of you know uh, systems improving and and getting to be better at what we are. I think that we evolved alongside uh, viruses, and that viruses are um, we might view them most of the time as just genetic communication. And maybe this is a bit of a Gaia theory direction here. Excuse me. Um, and I can't remember what the name of this theory is. I'll be honest, I, I just first heard of it a year ago from Stephanie Sinef. I was at the Wiser Traditions Conference and had ran into her and I'd never met her in person. So we talked for about 10 minutes and uh, and she she mentioned this idea that, um, you know, viruses might be like vehicles of communication. And, you know, not communication in like a direct programmatic sense, but if you need one organism to, you know, to uh, shed information to others around it in sort of a, you know, not even unconscious, but non-conscious way, <clears throat> then perhaps, um, you know, exosomes and viruses are ways to uh, send genetic information around. It could even be within the body, but it could be between organisms. And, you know, we, we see uh, if, if you put multiple like bacteria in, a, in a, the same Petri dish, we see um, genetic transfer happen. So, you know, it, it makes sense on a lot of levels. Um, these organisms, they want to be in equal, equilibrium with each other and their environment in order to be healthy. So I think that there's something, um, I, I, I think that that's a, a great theory. I think that it's, a, it's one that is almost, um, you know, self-recommending, so to speak, that it has a certain robustness to it that makes it sort of hard to argue with. Of course, that makes it hard to defend as a scientific theory, but I'm sure, you know, th there is plenty of science that we could potentially reach with it. <clears throat> uh, automata theory. Um, I don't think it's been well developed and I don't like Stephen Wolf from being the spokesperson of automata theory, but uh, I, I definitely think that that's going to help us with understanding viruses down the road. <clears throat> now there's the question among the no virus people of how it is that you test for viruses. Like can viruses be isolated? 
Okay, so earlier I mentioned fish. I mentioned definitions matter. So is something still a fish if it's dead? Okay, let's say that a fish means that it has to be a living organism, right? Like at what point is it degrading that you stop calling it a fish, right? So we're going to say that a fish is only a fish if it is living. Okay, you take the fish out of the ocean and you're walking it home and it dies. Does that mean that the fish didn't exist? Okay, well, maybe maybe you scoot a pool of water closer to the ocean. You want to study this fish, but you take the fish out of the ocean, you find some fish, you catch it, you put it in that pool. You know, now you have a medium in which you're studying that fish. You know, have you isolated the fish? No, it's got water all around it. That fish is not isolated. Um, so, okay, well, maybe you could have studied it in between the ocean and the pool when there was no medium, like, you know, what do you do? Like toss it up in the air. I mean, is it in your hands? Is it on the sand? Is it on the ground? Um, no, there's some medium in which it is always, or, and there's some observer always. Um, <clears throat> you, you need to put a lot of things in a medium in order to be able to, maybe all things in a medium in order to be able to study them. And the fact of the matter is that viruses, um, uh, break up very, very, very quickly. You don't get a lot of chance to study them. So, you know, typically what we do is we put a virus in a medium. Then the no virus people, they say, oh, well, now when you run a PCR test, you don't know if, if the results you're getting are the virus or the medium, or if it's, it's not purified yet. It's very hard to purify a virus. And that's true. You've got it in this medium and, um, you know, you're trying to cut away other things off of it. But the, the thing that you can see in like modern virus papers, and I confirmed this with my wife who has isolated viruses before, um, what you're looking for when you do that is the fact that you get a consistent signal for the, like a PCR. And PCR isn't the only test you can run, by the way. You can do, uh, you know, nanopore sequencing, um, you know, and, and I don't I don't even know what the list is. Uh, I'm not Kevin McKernan or, or my wife. Um, I'm sure they could each of them could provide you with a list of different things that you could do to, you know, test for genetic sequence. There's well, it's a sequence to sequence um, what might be a virus or what might be around it. Um, so, you know, as you as you as you filter away the things that aren't there, you wind up still getting this signal over and over again. So you can feel more and more certain that that signal is, you know, the thing that you believe is the virus. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, <clears throat> it's kind of like, uh, you know, maybe you've got uh, a walkie-talkie in the closet and you hear sound coming out of it. And you're not sure where the sound is. You know, maybe you don't know what a walkie-talkie is. You know, maybe you're some caveman, but you're going through somebody's closet. You're trying to find out where the voice is coming from. You throw out the shoe. You throw out the, the jacket. You throw out the shirts, you know, and eventually you've thrown out everything and, and there's just the walkie-talkie. And so that has to be the thing that the voice is coming from. Now, maybe very technically, we could say, well, maybe there's something in there that we just haven't noticed yet. Okay, that's possible. That's possible. But at this point, this process has been performed enough times in enough closets that we can be pretty sure that that rectangular black thing is the walkie-talkie. So that's really the story um, or, the, you know, the basic story, at least. I'm sure I haven't put it uh, together in uh, the best words yet. Uh, I haven't practiced it um, to have um, a, a very relatable conversation, but I'm sure that if, when I get together with JJ, that we'll have something like that. So why aren't we hearing more of that? Well, right now, the science community doesn't want to have this conversation, right? It, it, it's a conversation where the science community is right. There are viruses. At least I, I, I'm convinced at the moment, you know, I'll, I'll leave open the little window of skepticism for anything. I mean, I might be a brain in a jar, right? I might be a thing in a jar that I don't even know what is. You know, is it a brain? Is it something else? Well, it processes information or does it, you know, I don't know, you know, are, are we real? Who knows? Who cares? I, I don't even care because, um, you know, whatever I'm experiencing is the reality. So I'm just going to go with it. Um, I, I leave the window of skepticism open for everything. Let's see. <clears throat> the poison in, in the dose. Oh, we were talking about the, the water. Um, any other thoughts? Like what, what if, what have, um, let's see. The religion of scientism is being pushed on us. Of course, this is a central 
centralized science with a growing list of truths that can't be questioned. <clears throat> yeah, um, we have the magisterium or academia as it is, whatever it is. We have this magisterium. And <clears throat> I, I didn't realize, I, I mean, I always knew it was worse than most people thought. Uh, it's a lot of the reason I dropped out of college. It's a lot of the reason, um, gosh, after my experience, um, I was offered to, to fake research papers and uh, turned it down and instead went and found, I needed a job, but I went and found a job working for um, an insurance company doing actuarial work, uh, car data, essentially. Um, I, I, I felt like academia was just not what people wanted us to think it was. And I didn't, I, but even then, like I was several steps ahead of my peers, I think in understanding corruption in academia but even I've been surprised repeatedly as an adult and surprised again during the pandemic at the level uh, of which it's corrupt. Um, it, what happens, I think, is that you have uh, an industry that doesn't want to have a question to answer about viruses. So they have not even practiced an explanation. Are there viruses? <clears throat> um, they haven't practiced how it is to convince someone who doesn't already know I think that, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe there's a, an excellent textbook out there somewhere that explains what I was explaining, that it comes down to your definition of isolation, that you want a functional definition, and you want one um, that allows, you know, for sort of testing in a way that is convincing. Remember, science is, isn't about truth. It's about being convincing of the, of like utilitarian information. Um convincing of an idea or a topic. You know, what you really want is something that's convincing. Uh, and I think that, you know, like throwing all the clothes out of the closet is, is pretty convincing. Moving the fish from the ocean to the tank, right? We, we can't not have a medium. I think that's convincing, but we can word it better. You know, I still, I haven't found the video. Does anybody have a video? Anybody who's watching? We've got, how many users do we have? Uh, viewers do we have? We got, uh, about 40 viewers. Um, I'm not on, I'm not looking at Rockfin right now. So if you're there, if you have something to say there, um, maybe come to rumble for the moment or come to YouTube, either one. Um, is, have you, has anybody here seen a video that explains all of this? Well, like, has anybody talked about, Hey, this is about, um, definitions and, you know, functional definitions and doing something practical with those functional definitions. Who's your favorite video scientist who's done something on this? Anybody? Wow. Oh, this is terrible. Nobody's done it. Yeah. The, the, the scientific community is so narcissistic that it, it perhaps has moved past a lot of these elementary discussions that need to happen. Uh, but we should always question the foundations of science. And we should very much practice the art of communicating from the very simple fundamentals. It's actually hard though. It's actually really, really hard um, to communicate the fundamentals of science, logic, and mathematics. These are the hardest things. Once you're past the fundamentals, what you can do with the tools that you've created is uh, it's, it's artful, it's open. There's so many different things that you can do, but the fundamentals are so important. They're the hard thing, however. Uh, a lot of times you think for hours and you still don't know. You work at it for hours and you still don't know. Um, <clears throat> you know, what do we do to get past that? So um, I'm going to look around here. Oh, uh, I'll look at the YouTube comments. Viruses are obligate parasites. They are fundamentally different from bacteria. We can't expect them to be cultured with the same techniques. That's true. They're much smaller. The smaller things get, the harder they are to deal with. You know, um, how many people have ever looked through an electron microscope? I haven't. I thought I was going to do more of that. When I went to college, I was uh, I was at WashU on a um, the Compton, the Arthur Holly Compton Fellowship for Mathematics and the Physical Sciences. And I took uh, physics courses up to a certain point. I took um, four or five total. I did one graduate level course in methods for solving partial differential equations that were specific, you know, probably to certain physics fields. And I probably should have picked up, um, I probably should have taken that class later after having done something more practical with 
partial differential equations because it just bored me. Uh, taking classes of out of order can make something that might be fun, unfun again, right? Um, I did uh, do a little bit of studying of quasi-crystals. Um, not formally, but uh, there's a, there was a laboratory at WashU um, that was making quasi-crystals. And that's where you take something, um, a quasi-crystal, it's a solid structure, but um, it was, you know, people wondered whether this is an ordinary solid because it didn't have a regular crystalline structure. And what I mean by that, a closed packing structure, right? Like if you look at a salt crystal, you see that repetition when you really zoom in, it's the same formation in the atoms over and over and over. And that's the way solids are. But then suddenly you superheat something and as it cools, the atoms have a formation that's that's not, you know, ordinary, you know, to the way that we thought of solids before. And this may be, this may be like a good uh, exercise for questioning definitions. Um, the cosmologist Carl Sagan actually said that it brought causality into question. And I was 17 when I heard um, uh, somebody give a talk on this. Uh, it was one of the physicists, uh, Carl Binder at, at WashU. He was giving a talk about this. And I heard, you know, you know brings causality into question. And I thought, mm, that sounds like some bullshit to me. So I, I predicted, you know, my prediction was there is a there is a regularity in the structure. We just haven't found it yet. And that turns out to be what happened. And I found that out from um, the science fiction author, Werner Vinge, uh, a number of years later when I was in my 20s. Um, but it's it, sort of like uh, tessellations. You know, you have regular and irregular tessellations. And you can have um, regular and irregular packing structures. Um, doesn't mean that there isn't uh, a pattern, but that pattern uh, isn't apparent until you go you know, sort of further away from the locus of where you had one atom that was part of the structure. You know, you may have to go further than its immediate neighbor. They lock in like puzzle pieces and that's complicated. And it's hard to even come up with because um, it's kind of like um, uh, platonic solids. There are only five of them, right? There's only five ways to have symmetric direction in three dimensions. You've got the 20-sided icosahedron with 12 points that are symmetrically arranged from each other, you know, a 12 symmetry in space, um, or the uh, dodecahedron, uh, which has 12 sides and 20 points in space. And these correspond to each other, right? There, There's a duality between that 12 and 20, uh, just like there's a duality between the 6 and 4, between the cube. No, wait, let me stop before I say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the cube... And the, uh, oh, what do you call it? Te um, octahedron, octahedron. What am I, I kept, I kept wanting to say tetrahedron, but octahedron, eight triangles and six points versus eight faces of the cube um, or before, versus six faces of the cube and eight, eight vertices, right? That's the duality that I'm talking about. But you have only a few three-dimensional symmetries. And so the number of ways you could have things fit together in a symmetric way to create a regularity of structure is minimal. So how is it that you define a solid? Do we change the definition of a solid now to incorporate quasi-crystals? And I think the answer is we do, right? We go, okay, this, this whole like immediate closed packing structure thing, that didn't work. Uh, you know, functionally, it was fine for a long time, but we need to expand it just a little bit. Um, and it may even look like a completely definition, different definition once we're done. Um, we may want a definition that has to do with how fast the particles move or how strong the energy relationships are, right? And that becomes harder to do. It is harder to do, but, you know, it's what you have to do when you want a definition. You have to come up with a way to incorporate all the things that you want functionally. Um, but scientists scientists know these problems are hard and it, it pisses them off and they're a little embarrassed about it. They're a little embarrassed about it and they're supposed to look like they're making sense simply all of the time but to try to make to try to look like you're making sense simply all the time while being devoted to the truth is actually very difficult the people who say that um you don't know something unless you can explain it clearly uh you know to a a 10 year old in 13 seconds um that's bizarre and strange <laughs> um science textbooks will not be tweet threads I guarantee it. It's not going to happen. It's actually very far from the truth. And, and 
And uh, I hate hearing people say it. It makes me cringe every time they do. What people mean by that is um, we often, we all have ideas that we need to further refine, right? We need to, we need to understand them well enough that we can simplify each piece that can be simplified. Then people are going to want to listen to us more. Obviously, if you've been listening for the past hour, that's not this conversation. I've been uh, um, uh, stuttering uh, during two 30-minute segments uh, talking about something. This wasn't planned. I just decided <clears throat> last night for the update on uh, on the Austin trip, what it is I want to do with that, and then we got into the virus conversation. So that's where we are. Um, understand that in a few days, I'm going to have JJ Cooey on. We're going to go through this. I bet we're going to have uh, more refined language after he and I talk about it. And hopefully we can mostly put the no virus um, thing, whatever it is, to bed completely. And it is, it's, it should be embarrassing to the scientific community if we do that and do it well and they haven't done it yet. Even if we do it half well, right? I mean, e even what I'm doing right now, the fact that I'm here talking about this should be deeply embarrassing to the scientific community because I'm not somebody who has you know, no scientific background. I mean, I'm married to a biochemist who um, you know, studies retroviruses. It's one of the things that she does. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm nobody, but I'm not uh, I'm not you know somebody from within the the academic circles. So anyhow, um, for those of you who who showed up recently, uh, just want to mention again, I had a great time in Austin. It was an awesome trip. And um, so like many people emailed who couldn't make it because they lived in other cities. Obviously, you know, people are going to fly in from halfway around the world. But I think we're going to do a bunch of these. And I think um, I want to see if I can fly the kite and then let it go. You know, is, is it a movement that can um, that can happen without me? It is a movement that will be attacked. Uh, you can count on it. You can bet on it. <clears throat> but if the principles are established well enough, if if people understand what it is that they need to do to be a nobody leader in their community. That's great. Um, before I go, I'm going to, I'm going to close this out soon, but before I go, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to talk about a weird topic that does relate back the alpha male. This is a topic that you might see discussed on Joe Rogan or elsewhere. <clears throat> but it's a misunderstood one. Um, the the guy who came up with the concept of the alpha male uh, hated the direction that it went in pop culture. People began talking about the alpha male like Andrew Tate, right? This Andrew Tate conception of who the alpha male is, or maybe even a Bill Clinton or something like that. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, Hulk Hogan, the alpha male. That's not actually what the alpha male idea was. Uh, it is a functional idea that is part of evolutionarily stable systems where you have one individual. And by the way, in, in guerrilla communities, uh, troops, is that what we call them, right? Uh, in, in guerrilla troops, it's not always a male. It's usually a male. It's usually a male, uh, at least, you know, partially because strength matters a lot. When you have to do hard things uh, as that leader um, to take that burden, uh, and, and sometimes that even means killing a member of your troop. If there's somebody who's out of control or that threatens the stability of the group, uh, that's when the alpha male has to step forward and do something you know, very violent. But the vast majority of the job is political. It's you know, keeping everybody calm and cool um, and you know, making sure that there's enough food, making sure that all the needs of the community are met. That's the alpha. It's the mayor, right? And a mayor's not a lifetime job. Alpha's not a lifetime job either. Um, you know, maybe in a lot of communities, you have one alpha for, for every 20, 30, 40 people or Dunbar number for every 150 or 300 people, maybe, but it, there's a rotation of it, right? Different people are good at different jobs. Uh, different people take leadership at different times. They may not think that they will, you know, well, uh, you know, they may not, um, um, like be gearing toward it, but they may find themselves the person, you know, most capable, uh, in some place of handling a combination of the politics and the difficult decisions. I like um, Game of Thrones. There, I, I have some serious criticisms of that series, but um, it was an excellent TV show. And in the first season, you get to see who, um, oh gosh, I don't remember the names of the characters. 
uh, who's the family in the north? Um, uh, <clears throat> who's who's the uh, somebody uh, type in chat? Who's the the leader in the north? Whose uh, family is the is the center of attention of a lot of the show? Um, who goes and becomes the hand of the king? Who was his buddy growing up? Uh, help me out here. Save me. Save me from myself. Anyway, that guy. Um, we see him. He's going to execute the guy who ran from the White Walker and ran from the wall because that's not acceptable. If you've taken the responsibility of a certain job on which the entire realm depends and it's like a, a sacred position, it's sacred that, that you, you know, don't leave that behind for the protection of the people, then that execution is considered justice in that land. Whatever, we can debate that. But let's go ahead and say that, that the execution is just. And what he does is he has his 10-year-old son watch. It's not his oldest son. Some of the others have seen the executions before. and But each of them, in order to be the leader of the realm, would have to understand how to do the hard jobs. The Stark family. Jeez, thank you. can't believe I, uh, I was forgetting that. Uh, sometimes when you're talking into a microphone, uh, the things... It's it's not my top level interest uh, watching television. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Stark family. Ned Stark, that was his name. Um, Ned Stark was an alpha, right? Um, he he wasn't using violence as often as possible. He wasn't using violence, um, but it's it's a combination of those skills. And I think that this this network, you know, these dinners that I might hold, uh, the one in Austin, and then if we do these every few weeks in different places around the country, the goal is for the alphas to come forward. These are probably going to be mostly people age 35 to 55. And of course, any, and I'm not defining who can come. Um, we had uh, somebody older. We had a 27-year-old young woman show up. Um, you know, uh, you know, we're not going to overdefine this or anything like that. But uh, most of your leaders might be in that area, the people who are stepping up to the plate right now to be alpha. Those are the people that we would want to come. Um not alpha in a sense of I'm going to come and dominate this room, but alpha in the sense of I'm going to take care of my community. So um, that's that's one of the places I would like uh, rounding the earth to head this year. And we'll talk about it more. I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, let me check the comments, make sure there are no questions or other ideas here. There are also huge viruses. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, Didier Riolt uh, discovered giant viruses. And uh, it, it made it led him to join the argument that viruses should be a kingdom of life. I don't even know where that conversation is these days. Uh, it, <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's, this is the part of the conversation about definitions. How much does it matter? And it's when you get to the edge cases where it's actually very difficult to talk about what it is you expect of life or what would be functional for the definition. Is the virus king, uh, is, are, are viruses a kingdom of life? Does it matter? Do we need them to be? Anyhow, uh, thanks everybody for joining me. Uh, it was great. And I will see you for uh, a more uh, prepared conversation very soon.